Welcome to the second part of the podcast with Jonathan Cocking, and this time we're looking at it from a European perspective. Jonathan is the current president of the European Arboricultural Council and has a great knowledge and understanding of how our counterparts in Europe work and function. We'll be looking at the European Tree Worker Certificate, pests and diseases that are coming across from Europe, and how he has found it being president through the process of Brexit. Hello and welcome to Nature's Architects. I'm your host Pete Wharton and Director of Wharton Natural Infrastructure Consultants. And I'm Jennifer, your co-host for this podcast. We will be interviewing and speaking to as many influencing people and organisations as possible to understand more about how we can rebalance the relationship between the natural and built environments, creating a future where we live in balance with and connected to nature. When you've listened to today's podcast, we'll be really interested to hear your thoughts about how you think the UK industry should be interacting with the EAC and what can be done to improve relationships with them for the European and UK arboricultural worlds. My personal involvement with the EAC has been on the social media front and setting up all of their social media channels and getting them going. It's really important for them to have social media streams because of the large area that the EAC covers. And actually sharing information and knowledge has become vital, particularly during the pandemic. So, welcome to the Director of JCA, a real enthusiast within the arboricultural world, a chartered biologist, chartered arboriculturalist and expert witness. And to top it all is the current president of the European Arboricultural Council. He is one of the most level-headed people that I know in the industry, with a knowledge base that I can only dream of. So welcome to Jonathan Cocking, Director of JCA and President of the EAC. How's it going, Jonathan? Very well, thank you. Thank you very much for that um, introduction. Um, I'm pleased to be here. I can uh, happily say that uh, I'm ready for uh, any discussion that might be forthcoming. <laughs> Excellent. Well, no, it's really good to have you on. You're currently President of the European Arboricultural Council, which yes. um, I was lucky enough to join you uh, I think it was probably six, five, six years ago to go to Estonia, um, yes. which, was a, which was a great trip. Could you kind of give us a bit about um, what the European Arboricultural Council is and, and really, I suppose, how currently it's functioning based on the COVID situation and also Brexit as well? Yeah. Well, the, the European Arboricultural Council, the EAC as we'll call it, um, yeah. is a European-wide organisation which is committed to encouraging the highest of possible standards throughout Europe uh, of, of our industry, essentially. Mm. Um, we do it through education, examinations, uh, lobbying, government, uh, local and um, national level. Yeah. Uh, we do it through publishing. We're publishing in quite a number of different languages. Um, we do it through coordinating and, and sharing information between the 27 uh, nation members. Yeah. And each, each of the country members has uh, a representative or sometimes two representatives that, um, that basically represent that, that, that particular country. Yeah. In a normal year, we, we meet on quite a regular basis. The executive committee uh, meet uh, three or four times a year. Right. Um, in Bad Honnef in, in Germany, near Cologne. Yep. And um, we, uh, we have committees or, or sort of working groups on lots of different subjects, and they meet independently as well. 
I think uh, you'll be invited to the next one for the media committee. Yes, yeah, I have been. Yeah. The sort of Facebook side of things, and we need people like yourself for that. So we, we, have, um, we have very useful meetings in person. More recently, of course, we've been doing a lot of those meetings over Zoom. In fact, we had our AGM on over Zoom, where I um, chaired a meeting of... 47 people from 27 different countries, Okay, uh, which was fun. Uh, what, was more, was, what was more difficult, translating their languages or the northern twang? <laughs> I have a very clear spoken voice for the Europeans. They seem to be able to understand me, even if I can't speak their language. But, uh, okay. It's been mentioned a few times that the Yorkshire accent uh, is, is particularly good for understanding. For okay. <laughs> um, so the, the reason I... Uh, I'm in the uh, member of the uh, EAC. So I was asked by the Arboricultural Association um, back in 2009, I think it was, to be the representative. And I was astonished that um, they they came to me. They said that they'd advertise it and nobody had applied. But right. being a lover of travel and, and yeah. seeing new places and, and, and dealing with overseas work, I, I sort of said, yes, I'd be very happy to do that. And I've been doing it ever since. I think it was around about 2004 or five. I, um, sorry, no, 2014 or 15. Okay. That uh, I joined the executive committee. Yeah. So um, started getting in the, involved in the management and the running of the EAC. And then um, back in 2018, actually, I took over as president. Right. And um, it was initially, you do two years as um, vice. Yeah, which you've done from 2016, and then you do two years as uh, president, and then you do two years as immediate past president. Okay, so it's a si- real <laughs> si- long stint then. Six it's a years. six-year process, uh, but I have been asked to and accepted uh, another stint because primarily because of, of COVID and, and yeah. possibly because they like Yorkshire, and I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, we. I shall be doing it. It will cover an eight-year stint, effectively. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm very pleased with. I'm, I'm quite proud of, of, yeah. of the involvement, really. And how, and how do you see the, the Arboricultural Association's representatives? How's how does it differ then the kind of European arboricultural kind of scene in comparison to the UK? Is there is there a lot of differences that you see amongst contracting and consultancy work? Um, yes, there is really. Uh, the UK has larger companies, surprisingly. Okay. Um, so consultants in, in Europe seem to be, I mean, there will be examples here where it's not the case, but uh, they seem mainly to be uh, one-man operations. A okay. little bit like it was in, in, in the UK perhaps 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, and amazingly, quite often, it's the same for contracting as well. So a contractor working in, in Europe will often have all the kit and lovely vehicles and everything, and they'll just work. Um, it will be a one-man company, and they'll bring their friends in, other companies, when they get a big job, and the whole thing is very liquid. And they do it, it seems, quite often and on a day-for-a-day basis, so not payment, but you owe me a day when I've given you a day. Um, and it seems to work really well. And I've been very impressed with, with European standards um, and European ethics, really, with, yeah. with, with tree work. 
of course, sometimes when you're in an organisation like this and you, you visit a country and you're shown around by the mayor, um, you, you get you said you think it's a little bit like the Queen thinking the world smells of fresh paint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get less sights. Um, so uh, we don't always, always see the lopping and topping that's been going on, but um, certainly European tree work, generally speaking, is is coming on in leaps and bounds. Yeah. And is that something that will come into the UK as well, do you think, the European tree worker, or is that...? I've always hoped that that would be the case, um, but because we have our own set of standards, you know, yeah. the UK likes to do things differently, um, then uh, we we never actually adopted it, although there was once, about 10 years ago, the European tree worker exam, which was run in, uh, in the UK. Um, but I would like that to be something that, that took off from here on because the standards are really high. Yeah. Um, people who've got it get massive respect from their peers. Um, and they, they, they um, they're genuinely proud of it. Yeah. You know, the Facebook profiles have got the logo on. And yeah. Yeah. European yeah. Tree worker, European tree technician. So uh, I sat in and supervised quite a lot of exams as well. So I, I know that the standards are very high and if you make a mistake, it's not forgotten. You mm. are uh, told about it after the right. exam. And quite often you have to reset the exam because of that small mistake that you made. Right. Obviously, the last, uh, the last year has been very unusual uh, in the sense that we had, we had a, an executive committee meeting, I think it was in uh, March last year. Okay. Since then, it's all been done by Zoom. Right, okay, yeah. It really changed the way that we work. Over a, a period of uh, a period of time, uh, whilst we've been during it, throughout the COVID, you'll, I'll find that I'll have a really busy week with ESC, with lots of yeah. Zoom meetings and and uh, private discussions with different elements, and uh, you're perhaps troubleshooting really in a yeah. way. And then it'll, there'll be three weeks where I don't really have anything particularly to do. Okay, so it's not a massive time-consuming job. But uh, it certainly involves some pretty intense um, work from, from time to time. Uh, the meetings that we have in Germany, I think there are three or four a year, and that's when we bring our executive committee together. And that's made up of people from Germany, um, people from Poland, the UK, Slovakia, Italy, um, Norway and the Czech Republic at the moment. So a very diverse group of people all yeah, coming definitely. together um, to to chat about the various issues that we've got. In, it, in terms of that European aspect, do you find that there's, um, particularly in terms of tree resilience and pests and diseases, are you seeing a lot of, like, kind of a correlation of where things are travelling as they come through Europe or in the UK or what have you in terms of pests and diseases mainly? Do they get reported within um, the EAC? Interesting one. I don't think I've seen a particular trend with, with things. I mean, we, we all watched as the ash dieback sort of swept across Europe and then made the leap into the UK. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say that there was a, an easily tracked um, graph or map that you could draw saying it was here at this particular time. Of course, there are some very worrying ones that sort of knocking on the border of Europe, which we, we genuinely really don't want in the in the country. Um, and uh, I think personally, it's, it's it's more to do with trade goods yes. than uh, than it is to do with uh, people 
um, traveling backwards and forwards and taking plant samples and things. But, uh, yeah. uh, I think somebody told me that uh, such a small number of pallets and, and crates that come from uh, Europe are actually checked by the plant health inspectors. Uh, it, it's a small percentage and yeah. of course you only need a few members yeah. of a particular type of beetle to uh, to get in the wrong uh, in the wrong place and uh, they will take advantage of our tree population when they arrive if and that, they arrive yeah and it's it, i think it's a worry for well for everybody in the uk industry but also across across into europe as well it's uh, yeah how do these things get passed from place to place yeah and in terms of in terms of the eac um it's kind of I'm seeing it develop a lot more because watching it on social media and what have you, which is quite interesting because it's a, a great platform to people to communicate across across Europe. Um, what what are the main difficulties do you see with the AEC kind of moving forward, um, and how do we, as a UK arboricultural industry, how do we become more integrated with it? So. The clear and obvious one at the moment is the inability to move about. Uh, it, it has often troubled me that the EAC is very travel orientated, and in a world where we're all trying to, you know, do less air travel, yeah, uh, it's uh, there are questions over its sustainability. There's the argument that um, because we're working with trees and it's a bigger picture regarding trees that uh, the good that we could do as an organization could easily outweigh the uh, carbon that we create <laughs> yeah. in, in zipping around to, to meet one another. But the, certainly travel is, is the, biggest, um, the biggest issue. I think um, the arb industry generally, um, Europe and, and in particular um, England actually, uh, the UK at least, the Emphasis was there's a lot of effort gone into trying to reach political levels and political influence mm. over the last 10 years or so. In fact, they've been trying for even longer. But I think uh, more recently, this has started to become far more successful. Certainly, the Arboricultural Association is quite well connected in. Yeah parliamentary terms now uh, they get invited to go to parliament and, and talk to particular interest groups they get invited to all sorts of things and um, I think we can thank probably Jago Keane for for doing a lot of that background work yeah um, he did a good job he was, he was the, the chairman of the association um, we are equally trying to do this in Europe but finding it probably more of a challenge given the fact that there, there's such a wider territory involving a lot of countries. Yeah. And um, it's particularly interesting from my point of view, and I'm, I, I another reason for pride, really, that the EAC chose an Englishman to take them into the Brexit period. And yeah, the that's quite, it is interesting. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping that we can have more links in, and right. uh, certainly discussions that I've had with people at the Arboricultural Association uh, once COVID is over. Yeah, uh, things will start to happen. I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and no, I think it, I, I, it is fascinating that the that yeah, there's a an Englishman in running running uh, the EAC through Brexit, and I can imagine some of the discussions have been fairly uh, fairly intense <laughs> at certain times, um, and probably a lot of different opinions. And it's a yeah, fairly difficult one. So, in terms of the the future for for I suppose for you and for JCA where where everything goes really because there's obviously a a bigger uh, part which is the succession of 
JCA. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. Charles has spoken a little bit about that as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so where do you see yourself in kind of 10, 15 years? Um, uh, well, still a whippersnapper I, in the arb industry, I think. <laughs> I'm 58, I'm 59 in March. Uh, so uh, there's probably life in the old dog yet. But <laughs> um, I have worked pretty hard over the last, um, gosh, well, the whole career really, it seems, yeah. but in the last 24 years to, to do all the things that we've done and to, to get to the position that we're at, which is a happy position from, from my point of view. Um, mm. And I want to uh, hope, I hope that momentum for a start will be um, continued yeah. uh, within JCA. I will take uh, less involvement in the day-to-day running of the business. As, as time moves on, I see, I used to say I was going to retire at 55, but I actually realized that I would probably be bored to bits yeah. if I did. Um, so I, um, I I see myself by 60 taking, you know, sort of two, three-day a week or something like that, still doing legal work, still advising the company, but allowing um, other people to do the day-to-day running of, yeah. of the organization. And, and that's the, the place I want to get to. And that will probably line up quite nicely with the sort of uh, end of the EAC presidency. Okay, yeah. Sort of, uh, and and the, the immediate past two years uh, presidency. So I, don't, I haven't even looked what date that takes us to, but it's something like uh, 2025 or something like that. Right, so, okay. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm quite comfortable, quite sanguine about it all. Um, I think... Uh, you know, it would be very wrong of me to expect them all to take it in exactly the same direction that I've been taking it because I have interests that perhaps don't interest everybody. Um, so I, I fully expect that the business will take uh, off in slightly different direction. I hope not completely the opposite direction, but uh, no, I do expect that there will be there will be diversions. Yeah. And, um, and and I think well, that will be good. And I'll be, I'm quite happy to sit back and delegate that and... Um, and watch how it develops, and hope that it it, it continues to d- develop well. And I think I, I remember one of the first times I met you actually, uh, and I, I found it fascinating. Again, it was we we I think we got into a discussion about kind of how do you exit a business, how do you leave, how do you leave something and a legacy and everything else, and speaking to somebody else about that kind of thing. Like I, I think as a an arboriculturist, you don't always look at that part, but it was clearly part of the plan. And and I think that's I think that's interesting because we work so hard for so long, and actually I, I'm personally somebody who doesn't want to work like into my eighties doing the doing the same job. I want to go and enjoy kind of like the fruits of the labour that you've worked so hard for. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think it's I think it is a real yeah. It's getting that balance right, but I think it's a it was really interesting speaking to you about that that part of it. And it, in terms of the future of the industry. Where do you see the arboriculture and the natural environment in the next five to ten years? Obviously, COVID has had a huge impact on people's appreciation for um, kind of the great outdoors. I know up in in leafy uh, Yorkshire, where you are, like the outdoors is just part of life. But kind of into the inner suburbs, it's uh, and the and the urban areas, it really isn't. How do you see it panning out for arboriculture? Well, I, I certainly got how I would like to see. It. Um, pan out for, for the industry uh, in, in the next years. Obviously, I, I hope that JCA will, will continue to do well when I'm not at the helm any longer. Um, but as far as an industry is concerned, 
I'd like to see us being there at the top of the um, influencing factors yeah. in, in, at high levels. So uh, local government, government levels, I think we should be there advising them. And I think we will be. Um, it's taken a long time for politicians to realise, rather than just pay lip service to trees, yeah. um, it's taken them a long time to realise just what uh, a list of benefits that the trees will give. If you look at some of the, the, the country, uh, well, not just the country, but the world problems at the moment, mm. we've got climate uh, change, we've got flooding, yeah. mental health, air quality, desertification, carbon capture, relatively yeah. new thing, um, biodiversity decline. These can all be addressed with thoughtful and proportionate tree planting and woodland planting and forest planting and the management of those resources. That, I reckon, probably covers more than half of the humankind's problems. I, I, I would certainly agree, and I think it... I completely agree on the getting it to beyond just figures. I think when you get to politicians who are kind of tugging on the heartstrings of everybody for votes and they're talking about planting billions of trees, I think it's actually holding them accountable to actually deciding, well, if you're going to say you've actually got to do something about this and not just kind of in kind of on the side of fields, but also within the urban environment as well, where actually we can deal with some of the kind of the urban heat island effect and, those elements fairly easily through like natural air conditioning ultimately yeah and some some countries I, I was fortunate before just before covid arrived actually i was working i was in hong kong and, and touching china yeah uh, eac work actually because there is interest over there and um we were talking to some uh, people high up in the political world there and they were talking about the number of trees that they were, they were planting and they weren't talking about 100,000 here and 100,000 there. They were literally talking about 300 million trees. Right. In the plan for the short term. For the short term. Mm. Um, this is, these are huge numbers. And, you know, <coughs> climate changing, climate altering numbers of trees. Yeah. Um, and they weren't just talking about it for then. They were talking about it for the long term as well. So, um some amazing things happening around the world as far as trees are concerned at the moment. And I, I think it's bringing it down to a level where people, like just the general public, can understand it as well. Yeah. And and getting them on board and because then there's a powerful movement. I think there is, well, I'm seeing it with particularly with our children <coughs> and speaking to other people, that they've got so much um, desire to see the environment improve. And, and make it better. I think it will can only go up the political agenda further. Um, mm. and, I, and I really hope that actually, having spoken to you, I've spoken to a few urban designers, a few planners and what have you on the podcast, and actually everybody is saying exactly the same thing. And I think, interestingly, the ICF held, hosted a round-the-table discussion this week, actually, with the Highways um, Institute of Highways, I think it was, some engineers, Landscape Institute, RTPI, and everybody is saying the same thing. I think it's now collectively putting that into one directed um, uh, kind of proposition to, to national government of how this can be achieved. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, really interesting. And I, and I think, yeah, that's uh, a great place to leave that because I think there is a clear message there that we trees can provide so many benefits um, to 
actors natural kind of uh natural functionality to to climate change and all the other things that are going on within the environment yeah and so cheaply as well plant a tree for a pound yeah exactly <laughs> and i think that's what people don't realize it's uh, and then and then it is the maintenance at the end of it to get them to establish and that's uh sometimes where we get let down but i hope that yeah. Yeah. over a period of time it can work absolutely well, Jonathan, it's been it's been great speaking to you today. Um, I always enjoy having a catch up with you. Um, I learn a lot from it every time. Um, yeah, and I wish, obviously, yeah, JCA every success in the world, and you with uh, EAC personally, because I think it's a really great um, organization to be part of. Um, so, yeah, thank you for coming on today, and uh, hopefully, speak thank to you soon. Thank you for hosting. Thank you for hosting. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Right. Don't forget to email your thoughts to hello at wnic.co.uk. Next week, we are chatting to Alice De Young, who is the co-founder of Glampitect, an exciting new company that's transforming the world of glamping, architecture and the natural environment to create great environments for people to enjoy. Find out more by listening to our next podcast. <laughs>